more and more we continue to see deflation in the real economy. We've talked about how it's more in prices than in labor just now, and how it's been more producer prices than anything else. We talked China, China's producer prices are accelerating to the downside. Europe had a record low or record drop in producer prices in April. The Japanese just yesterday reported a substantial decline also in the month of April, also for their producer prices. But this one, this one is in the US and it's in the US CPI, the CPI data that was just reported today. And this is a big one pertaining to the services part of the US economy. How bad is it? This is something that has only happened eight times, eight times in over, in almost 40 years of data. We're talking about 458 monthly data points. It had only happened eight times before. May is the ninth. And those eight times, those are not happy times. This is April, May, and June of 2020, the worst months of 2020. April, May, and June of 2009, the absolute bottom of the great quote-unquote recession. And the other two, October and November 2008. So only the worst economic circumstances of the last 40 years, and this just duplicated in services prices, outright deflation, today's CPI, ninth time for the month of May. In addition to deflationary consumer prices in the U.S. and U.S. services, we also got more alarming data from our friends in China. The Chinese credit impulse, remember that, was supposed to be huge. In fact, it was huge to start the year. However, the credit data that China, the Chinese just reported, the People's Bank of China, suggests, actually strongly shows, that somehow Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse seem to have had a huge impact on the Chinese credit system, which has ground to a complete halt. And in so doing, it has apparently alarmed authorities in Beijing who have preferred to do nothing, to just let reopening organically play out. But seeing what's going on in the credit, credit system in China, as well as how it's already having a major impact in the Chinese economy and spilling over to the rest of the world, just, just yesterday, the Chinese decided they were going to lower their repo rate by 10 basis points, which suggests they're eventually going to lower, or just this next week, going to lower their MLF number, which will lead to lower loan prime rates, which altogether, obviously, the authorities in Beijing, a little bit more, a little bit nervous about what's going on in the real economy as well as China's credit system. So China's credit system is ground to a halt in a way we haven't seen in many years. U.S. consumer prices, U.S. services consumer prices have done something we've only seen during the worst economic circumstances. And all of these things, including producer prices around the world that are falling, they're just not random coincidences. It's all related to the deflationary recession, the 2008 style scenario that we're continuing to see show up in more and more and more places, unfortunately. So we're gonna get we're gonna get to the US CPI, what's really in that, as well as what's going on in Chinese credit. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University has memberships available where we get into what is a Eurodollar, what is the Eurodollar system, why does it matter to the Chinese, to the Europeans, to the Japanese, to Americans. What is a global reserve currency? What is it supposed to do? And why doesn't the euro dollar seem to want to do it anymore? We also have research subscriptions available. I contribute a daily briefing 
marketsinsiderpro.com. That's Stephen Van Meter, Tracy Shukart, and myself. There's a bundle available there. And the daily deep dive analysis at the Eurodollar University website, where we dive deep into all of these things, not just inflation or deflation, money and macro conditions, what they mean, what's going on today, how does that impact you tomorrow, all of the information available at eurodollar.university. So we're going to begin with the U.S. CPI. Before we get to services, the headline CPI was mostly impacted by falling gasoline prices. Even though gasoline prices probably should be much lower than they are following oil, gasoline prices have diverged from, from crude oil prices largely because of low inventories and the lack of incentive, apparently, to produce and distill more gasoline. But even so, gasoline prices, according to the BLS, in the U.S. CPI in May, those were down 5.6% month over month. And that led to a substantial de uh, deceleration in the headline consumer price index, which was up only 0.12% month over month in the month of May, compared to 0.37% in April, when it seemed like it might accelerate on gasoline, it gave some of that back. What that meant was that the, over, the annual rate, the year-over-year -year comparison, was 4.13% in May. That's down substantially from 4.96% in April year-over-year. -year. The lowest, uh, the May year-over-year -year rate was the lowest since March of 2021. So disinflation in the headline CPI, a lot of it having to do, of course, with energy prices, also food prices but also services, as, as we'll get to in just a minute. The core CPI rate, that's the one that I think a lot of people have trouble with, including those at the Federal Reserve, because the core CPI rate doesn't seem to want to do anything different. Over the last six months, the core CPI has been rather steady at around 0.4% month over month. And if you do a little bit of arithmetic there, that's around a 5% annual rate. That's just way too much for the FOMC, way too much for anyone and if the core CPI had represented any sort of economic in, uh, factors in that uh, continuous rate of increase, then it would be something to be alarmed about in terms of more inflation risk, as the Federal Reserve tries to claim, rather than what we're seeing everywhere else in the cyclical indicators that have gone even further than disinflation. But the core CPI rate uh, again, 0.44% month over month in May, not much different from the 0.41% in April or the around 0.4% that it's been in each of the last six months. Even so, with base effects and some other things, the core, core year-over-year year, year rate dropped to 5.33% from 5.54% in April, which doesn't really represent much of a change, even though that was the lowest since November 2021. Because as we said, the core rate continues to move along at 0.4% every month, which is way, way too much. And you don't really see any change in behavior. There's a modest slowdown in the middle of last year, but ever since then, core rate seems to want to go up at a steady rate, which is contrary to what authorities want to see or what, they, or what we're seeing in the real economy. And the reason is, because as we all know, and we keep talking about, largely due to shelter prices. Now, shelter prices have decelerated, but only a tiny bit from earlier in the in earlier this year and late last year. The overall shelter index was rose at a 0.56% month over rate in the month of May, which was actually a little bit faster than the 0.42% month over month in April. 
Now that's, again, that's a little bit better than the 0.7% and even 0.8% monthly increases that we saw previously, but nowhere near the slowdown and even decrease that we're expecting eventually down the road because shelter prices don't reflect economic circumstances right now. They're reflecting the housing bubble from 2021 into 2022. And as we know, home prices started to decline last year and eventually that will show up in especially owner's equivalent rent, part of the shelter index in the CPI, but it hasn't yet. It's only started to slow down and it's still rising at an incredibly high rate. The owner's equivalent rent index rose 0.52% month over month. That's better than February and before, not much different than the 0.5% in April. So shelter prices are still contributing way too much, especially to the core price index, which has left some people to suggest that Federal Reserve might need to hike more rates. And maybe even the Fed thinks it needs to be, it needs to continue on its hawkish program because it doesn't see the change in the core CPI. But when we look at more cyclical indicators, which includes motor fuel and energy prices that are actually having an impact in the overall CPI, we also have services prices, another key cyclical indicator that's doing something that we've, as I said in the introduction, we've only seen a handful of times in over in almost four decades of data, 458 monthly data points. And this has only happened eight times. What I'm talking about is a decline in the services less rent index. The BLS, I think, is pretty well aware of its imputations and the fact that the imputations which lead to its shelter price indexes they think they, they realize that maybe we need to have a better economic or a better index or a more, more closely aligned index on what's what the economy's doing, especially services prices, because services are a huge part of economic growth and sustainability in economic growth. So the BLS can conveniently gives us a services index less rental prices. And as I said, what we've seen in the month of May is something we rarely see before. Just the month over month change in May for services less rent was 0.22%. So that's already negative, which is, that's rare to begin with. In fact, services prices don't usually decline in any, any given month. Over the 40, almost 40 years of data, only a handful of times do you see a negative month. But we've seen two negatives in the last three months. Going back to March, March's was a very fractionally negative, just 0.03% month over month. But still, that's a rare occurrence when you have a three month period where services prices are actually declining. Even if it's just a, a fractional amount, they don't usually go down. In fact, that's why you only see something like this happen in associated with the worst economic circumstances. The three month change, which is what I'm talking about here, the three months change through May was minus 0.15%. That's the thing, the three months change being negative has only happened eight previous times before with May of 2023 being the ninth. What it tells you is that services prices that normally go up even during recessions, even during normal nominal recessions, they're already falling at a rate that's consistent with the worst months of 2020, as well as the worst month worst months of 2008 and 2009. So something isn't right in the services part of the economy, which is actually consistent with everything else that we're seeing. Producer prices falling, global trade recession, ISM PMIs, 
S&P Global, regional Fed PMIs, all of these things that suggest the services economy as the global economy moving closer and closer, if not already in the grips of a deflationary recession. One place where we also see that, China. China's reopening began what everybody thought really well. It began with huge PMI numbers, numbers that got up to be the highest in more than a decade. And then this massive credit impulse that everybody was talking about, especially January, February, and March, where it seemed like maybe the Chinese had done too much. They had unleashed or re-unleashed the inflation monster because Chinese companies were borrowing hand over fist, it seemed, ready to just put that money to work. To give you an example of what I'm talking about, here's an article from just two months ago, back in early April. China's credit expanded faster than expected in March, a sign that the central bank's move to unleash more long-term liquidity into the economy and support bank lending is fueling investment activity. No, it didn't. Aggregate financing, a broad measure of credit, reached 5.4 trillion yuan last month. That was the month of March. The People's Bank of China said Tuesday, higher than the median estimate among economists surveyed by Bloomberg, financial institutions offer 3.9 trillion yuan worth of new loans, also higher than expected. On top of a big increase in January and February, it seemed like, on a very limited, narrow basis, that China was doing way too much. They had un uncorked the inflation genie and let it free to roam throughout the world again. China's PMIs were up, the credit impulse was up. In early April, people were afraid that this was going to be too much. And now here we are in June and authorities in Beijing are nervous to the point that they're considering lowering interest rates again. Not by a lot, but the fact that they're even considering maybe a 10 basis point decrease tells you everything that you need to know about the last couple months. They have gone in the complete opposite direction. We've said all along, that China's reopening wasn't just likely to disappoint, it was likely that in, being, in being disappointing, China's economy would be dragged down into the deflationary recession with everyone else around the world. That's exactly what these credit statistics imply. We have two months worth of social financing as well as just the RMB loans and the, the, the data it's in the PBOC's financial statistics report. And what they suggest is since March, everything changed. So whatever happened in January, February, and March, it didn't last beyond then. Was that because of Silicon Valley and Credit Suisse? Maybe it was, but China has its own internal problems on top of all of these external pressures that are flooding into China, which it doesn't even really matter at this point why, what the reason is, because first of all, it's a combination of reasons, but more than that, the statistics imply that everything has changed and changed that quickly and that Beijing has recognized the dangers and is at least moving to do something about them or at least to limit the downside to maybe contain the damage as much as possible. Aggregate social financing in the month of May 2023 was just 1.56 trillion RMB. While that was up from 1.22 trillion in April, is far less than the two trillion that economists were expecting or analysts were expecting and way below the 5.38 trillion in March. Specifically RMB loans, those were just of 1.36 trillion in new RMB loans. That's better than the 719 billion in April, but again, way less than expected and way way less than March. When you look at strictly the stock of RMB loans, not just new RMB loans, but the overall stock of RMB loans, 
Those rose at 11.4% annual rate, um, May to May, so May 2022 to May 2023. That's down from 11.8% in March and April. That's a substantial decrease of what was already a low year-over-year rate to begin with. 11.4% year-over-year sounds terrific, double digits, but that's among the lowest in the last couple decades in China. And the reason was the two-month change was just 0.6%. That's the worst since at least 2016. That's worse than any of the months in 2020. So now you know why suddenly authorities in Beijing are becoming a little bit nervous. After saying all year, we're not going to do anything. We're going to let the economy play itself out. We expect that reopening will slowly ramp up. Now they're seeing that after all the hype and hoopla, after every all the fuss that was made about especially China's credit, how quickly it all just fell apart. And that's having an impact in the Chinese real economy as well as around the rest of the world. I think that's the big takeaway here is not just that China's reopening disappointed, we knew that was gonna happen, but how quickly we went from, oh my God, it's too much, to holy crap, it's way too little. Way too little. And that the economic consequences and financial consequences are enough that even monetary authorities are considering acting. So we've got that going on in China on top of some deflation in the US services economy in the month of May, as well as more and more indications, more and more warning signs that the deflationary recession around the world indeed continues to develop and maybe even is accelerating. We see it in more and more places and it's becoming unmistakable. But of course, we're gonna focus on the core CPI and the Fed is gonna to wanna to hike rates because of reasons that have nothing to do with the current economic circumstances, of course. I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge, huge thank you. Eurodollar University research subscribers, as well as Markets Insider Pro research subscribers, and of course, all our Eurodollar University members. And until next time, take care.